The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Allons-y. I'm sorry. It's French. Well, let's go. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. On this podcast we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the Doctor. These are my new best friends. It's the entire universe on Shuffle with your hosts. Eric Goldbranson. Asad Heshke. And Matthew Kressel. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. There's something you better understand about me, because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a madman with a box. Well, now we're getting somewhere. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. I'm Eric Branson. Uh, with me, as always, my good friends and co-hosts, uh, Saad Keski and Matthew Kressel. Greetings and felicitations. Yeah, it goes. Not too bad. <laughs> so it goes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems like we were just talking about it. it. seems like it's been a while since we've done a recording. I've been busy, so it's uh, flying by, but time got away from me. It's been over a month, so... We owe everybody a show here. Luckily, I took me so long to get the last one done. This one might actually seem, from a listener's perspective, that we've done this one very quickly. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that is, of course, assuming that I edit this in a timely fashion, which, you know, no promises there either. But, <laughs> so, but, how are you guys doing? What's new? Uh, all is, all is well. Um, yeah, everything's going okay, I would say. I guess at least, uh, well, we have a date for uh, the power of the Doctor. So. Yeah, October yes. 23rd. I saw, I just watched the trailer yesterday, too, which I guess had been out a few days. I somehow missed that. But, um, yeah, checked that out. And they they at least have made, made it uh, an appealing trailer. It looks like an exciting show. I'm, I managed to get a little bit of excitement rolling about you know, watching it. And the fact that, like, they're just starting to promote it right now, and it's, like, in 13 days, so it's, like, yeah. not a whole lot of time to wait, but... Yeah, I uh, I get the impression that the BBC was kind of thrown into some handbrake turns because of the unfortunate passing of the Queen, yeah. um, which kind of limited them on what they could do and and whatnot, both legally as a state, as a, basically as a state broadcaster as well. So, and I think this forced them to kind of have to promote things a lot later than they would have i think liked to have yeah yeah i have a feeling and and that didn't help even prior to the death of the queen it kind of felt like they that the doctor who or this you know um the the special that's part of the centennial celebration is a little bit of an afterthought for them and i don't know why that is but they just don't seem to have a lot of promotional energy behind it and honestly, that goes all the way back to Flux. I don't feel like they had a whole lot of excitement about that going on. So, yeah. um, Well, they haven't been really promoting any of the Centennial stuff very much. I mean, Doctor Who is just one part of that, we hasten right. to say. Yeah. But none of that's really been promoted. And it was kind of, it's been interesting kind of looking at the conversations back and forth on Twitter where people are saying, oh, there's, no, there's very little promotion for it. And people also pointing out, well, there's other stuff that's being made for that. That's also not been promoted hardly at all, and indeed, if it hadn't been for an announcement, nobody would know it was even coming. So, 
Yeah. I don't know if that's a the I don't know if that's a BBC thing that you know they're again worried about ITV or whoever you know coming up with a scheduling thing and, bom- and bamboozling them or what exactly. But right. it it does admittedly feel like it's it's rather late in the day to be doing all this. Seems like a nice opportunity for them to kind of put a feather in their own cap, right? It's a celebration of the, their own network. <laughs> so, but yeah, I don't know. Seems like an odd decision. And I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I try not to read too much into the negative um, fan reactions to things, but of course, you know, one section of fandom will have you believe that they uh, have lost faith in the show, and it's you know, Chris Chibnall is driven into the ground, and I, I don't think any of that's true because I don't think the people in marketing care one way or the other, right? <laughs> yeah. All. So there's got to. I feel like there's got to be an external reason for it. It's not that they, you know, whatever the show is, if they put money into it, they're going to promote it. Right. I would think. I mean, it's Doctor Who. It's got the name on it. Somebody's going to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I've understood you know, that. I'm that somebody. Yeah. <laughs> People come up with all sorts of conspiracy theories about uh, trying to run the show down to the ground or something. I, I don't know. But yeah, the trailer I mean, did look good. A couple of uh, surprise uh, appearances, I guess, of a couple of returning villains, uh, if, yeah. if just yeah. from the Chibnall era. Um, yes. So. Looks like it's just about everybody that every major player in the uh, Chibnall era is going to make an appearance at some point here. So right, but wondering yeah, whether a... is the unit back like as an organization suddenly or um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You got Kate Stewart. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, no. now in thirteen days. Yes, we will. <laughs> Not too long to wait. It's it is it, odd. It kind of getting these. Uh, you know, we've been waiting, you know, close to a year now since the last time we saw Dr. Well, Easter. So I guess I'm, I'm embellishing that a little bit, but it feels like a long time. I mean, going in between um, and it makes me a little bit, I don't know, sad's not the right word, but the fact that I is good, even if this is the best thing that they've done in this, you know, um, and it just it hits it, it hits it on every mark. It's still going to be another year until we see doctor who again right. so it's kind of like maybe yeah maybe yeah, yeah. you're right he did say There's... that they, uh, russell davies did insinuate there could be some things leading up to the 60th that could yeah but yeah there wasn't a now there was a press release for the trailer and for this in power of the doctor mm-hmm. that mentioned a series of specials starting later in 2022 was the way they worded it. Oh. So there is a lot of speculation at the moment that there might be a Christmas special or something in the works. And God knows we know Russell T. Davies loves his Christmas specials. Yes, he does. <laughs> so can always hope. Fingers crossed. Fingers and toes. You know. Yeah. I imagine once the uh, once the power of the doctor is done, then he won't feel the need to. As if he'd be stepping on anybody's uh, toes or thunder by starting to go into a full promotional mode. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking we'll learn. We'll we'll learn what we're supposed to know about it. You know, we I, they're not going to tell us any secrets, but I assume we'll start to get a, a a picture of when we might see more Doctor Who right. relatively soon after, if not in the end credits of you know the right. power of the Doctor. We get a Doctor will return type. Um, Right. Thing. Right. So we'll see. I, I think if he got the opportunity, I doubt he could help himself but give us some sort of a tease. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's. Any. Is there uh, any other news? Uh, I mean, I 
I feel like I've been not paying as close of attention as maybe I once was, but I still haven't seen a whole lot besides, you know, we finally got the air date for, for Power of the Doctor. Yeah, I don't think there's been all that much uh, news otherwise as such. Uh, yeah. I mean, outside of the usual, like, big finish announcements of upcoming <laughs> releases and stuff, but uh, it's, yeah. it's, we're in a doctor, we're in a bit of a Doctor Who drought at the moment, I think it's safe to say. Yeah, yeah, and Big Finish, of course, is going as strong as ever, but, um, yeah, I haven't seen a whole lot of anything, really, outside of, um, uh, you know, one thing that I did want to ask you guys about, like, <laughs> months ago, and I just, I never, always forget when we're talking about the news section, is, uh, did you guys ever have a chance to check out the um, Doctor Who uh, podcast drama that they did? Um, the name's eluding me. I'm trying to Google it. In the, oh, Redacted, uh, I think. Redacted, yeah, that's it. Yep. I, I did, um, actually. I did, yes. I'm surprised I, yeah, never, I, look, I never brought it up. <laughs> yeah, and I never did either. I listened to the, I listened to the whole thing, and it, it was like on, like, oh, I'll have to remember to bring that up next time. And then I'm like, oh, I forgot to bring that up. I'll have to remember to bring that up next time. And that's happened, like, three consecutive times since I finished listening to it. But um, do you guys have any, any thoughts on, on that? Was that... Um, I'm, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's a, it's a Doctor Light episode. Um, yep. And uh, overall, it's a pretty, pretty well produced. I um yeah the story keeps you interested it's in small digestible chunks um mm-hmm. and yeah so overall yeah i, w- I would uh, certainly recommend it as a as a listen yeah did you did you happen to hear it matthew i have to admit normally being the proselytizer of doctor who on audio that i am i have not heard a word of it Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure why either, but I have not, I'm, <laughs> I'm aware of it, but I have never gotten gotten around to actually listening to it. Yeah, it, it was another thing that I kind of came and went without a lot of fanfare, uh, even social media wise. I yeah. felt like it was just kind of like uh, when they first first episode came out, there was a lot of stuff about it. Uh, they, you know, check out the new podcast, and then I felt like they didn't support any of the subsequent episodes. Like it was coming out weekly, and I just never really heard of it again. Had I not jumped on and followed it, I'm not sure I would have even known, you know, known to look for it after that point. But, but I, yeah, I agree with you. Asad. it was it was good. Uh, it was very. I liked that it had a very different flavor than anything I've heard Big Finish do. It was very. The first episode, I wasn't quite sure because I wasn't sure how mu- how based around that podcast within a podcast that was going on in the story it was going to be and i was like i'm not sure this is going to work as a format but they broke out of that pretty quickly yeah yeah and it it became kind of a a pretty conventional audio drama but i I feel like it had a a distinctive flavor that was different from most of what you know i can't say everything big finish but it it certainly had its own uh distinct flavor so um yeah, I thought it was cool. It was certainly a Doctor Light episode, but I liked the characters that it gave us. Like some interesting, you know, new characters. Right. I liked that there was a lot of little Easter eggs, and I won't go into details, Matthew, because you haven't listened to it, and maybe people listening have haven't as well. And we're not reviewing that today, so. Right. <laughs> but yeah, lots of fun, lots of fun Easter eggs that throw back to like all over Doctor Who history. Yeah, for cool. sure. That's always nice. Um, interesting. Yeah, and like yeah, and like you said, little digestible chunks. Like they're they're not long episodes and. Just kind of, uh, I don't know, I thought it was kind of fun and light and 
accomplish what it needed to accomplish. It was better than some of the, I feel like, Dr. Light things we've seen done on television. So. <laughs> that was interesting. They uh, don't actually use the Doctor Who theme in it, which was an interesting choice. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> I I'm not sure how I feel about that actually. Like I feel like if it's if it's released under the name Doctor Who, like it can be a spin-off and right. that's fine. It can have its own music and it, but since it was called Doctor Who Redacted, I'm like I we should be hearing this at least at some point. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But, yeah. But yeah. It was cool. I I would recommend it. It, it maybe not a, you know, A+ plus necessarily, but um considering the low amount of attention that I saw it getting or conversation people were having about it, I I feel like it definitely needs to get a few more ears on it. Hopefully, people will yeah. catch on that it's pretty good. Yeah, it's <laughs> especially since I guess it was also sort of um, trying for, I guess, an audience, um, trying to maybe expand the audience in terms of the nature of the characters that were the leads and mm -hmm. um, some of the discussions that they have about more, uh, about I guess, contemporary uh, social issues. Um, it seemed like they were yeah. trying to reach a broader audience than you normally get for a Doctor Who audio. Yeah, having having a main your main character be a, a trans female who is very not shy about confronting <laughs> the world um, was a cool choice. I think uh, Doctor Who Stranded has done that as well with a very interesting uh, trans woman as in a leading yeah, role. Yeah, Tonya Bell. Um, yeah, and she's she's great in that, and I like her character a lot as well. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm blanking on the redacted. See, I let too much time go by. I don't remember names, but yeah, I do. I did like the the lead character quite a bit. Um, yeah, just thought it was a fun, interesting character that you don't hear all the time, and she was, uh, yeah, I don't know, fun and funny and um, good leading character. Not necessarily somebody you would think would be leading a Doctor Who story. Right. Right. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to give this a listen. Yeah, it's... I think it's definitely worth it. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Then again, I'm not sure why I haven't heard it already, but such <laughs> is life. Well, because, it, yeah, it seemed to come and go so fast. I, you know, like I said, had I not gone and subscribed to it and listened to it the first one right away, I'm not sure I would have found my way back to it. It would have... Well, I guess it's also that, I don't know, like, where all you can listen to it. Is it only on the BBC uh, player? I, it is on the BBC player. I think you can get it also like BBC podcasts, like subscribes out. So if you have a podcast like aggregator, like uh, you should be able to look it up uh, through there and find it. Um, yeah, whatever, whatever software you're using to get podcasts, whether it be, I, I think it's probably on Spotify and it's probably on, I, I don't know this for sure. I'm not looking at the moment, but right. um, I use I'm podcast addict and I think that, I think mm -hmm. it was on. I could find it through there. But. I'm wondering, because my laptop, my old laptop that I ran iTunes off of, crashed a couple of months ago, and I'm wondering if the timing works out. Because I haven't listened to much podcast listening since then, because iTunes, being iTunes, completely lost all the podcasts I, su I was subscribed to at that point. So I'm wondering oh if that, that might be... Yeah, I wonder if that might be what part of why I haven't been into it, is because I, I basically dropped out of podcast listening altogether. Gotcha. Uh, yes. Yeah, I had the same thing happen when I switched phones recently. I got a new phone and, you know, transferred all my data over. But what didn't transfer over is the on podcast addict. Like, it didn't carry over any of my shows. And I didn't even think to check that before, you know, scrubbing the old phone and getting rid of it. And then I'm like, oh, they're all gone. Now I have to, like, remember off the top of my head every podcast that I had subscribed to. 
I'm sure I'm still missing some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have to remember that for next time I switch my. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't know if there's a way to back those up or if there's like an account you can get because I don't I don't know what there is. But anyway, I. Hopefully I'll I've remember I've remembered all the important ones at this point. Hopefully. But. I wonder if there is a because I have like slightly different lists on my phone and on my Kindle, but I don't think I really log into it or anything. I just yeah. Each one of them, so. I just had to select which uh, podcasts I wanted to add. And now we take a quick break to let you know about some other excellent podcasts that you should check out. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip, and every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast on the Direction Point Podcast Network. I'm Juliet. And I'm Nathan. Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. Well, unless you guys have any other news, I suppose we should uh, talk about the book that we read for this evening. And that book, somewhere here behind me, is uh, Doctor Who Classics Volume 5, the the compilation of yesterday. This, this guy right here. <laughs> um, IDW Publishing uh, compilation. They did a whole run of these Doctor Who classics where they colorized and kind of remastered, if you will. I don't know if the term applies, but um, the Doctor Who magazine comic strips from the 70s and 80s. And um, yeah, this this volume collects... Sorry, I just put it down when I wanted it in my hands. Um, this volume collects a four stories, and that's uh, that ran in Doctor Who magazine during the um, 80s, so in the Fifth Doctor era, and that is Lunar Lagoon, Four Dimensional Vistas, The Moderator, and Skywatch 7, which um, actually predates the other three, because uh, it ran in the Doctor Who Winter Special in 1981. And it's a mystery why they chose to include Skywatch 7 in this collection. <laughs> Maybe they just needed to fill out the page count a little bit, but... Um, who anyway, knows? It's it's, it's an unconnected story. To, it's a, also speaking of Doctor Light stories, it's unconnected to anything right. else that's going on in the volume. So, um, I guess we will do the logical thing and start at the beginning. <laughs> uh, you guys have, have any, um, I guess, general comments about uh, Doctor Who magazine comics? What are your? I guess let's just go ahead and. Um, like take a couple of seconds and talk about like are, are you very familiar with the, the comic strips from the magazine is it something you've read a lot of or is this something you're kind of just tipping dipping your toe into at this point 
Uh, yeah, I've actually read all, pretty much all of the uh, collections and from the Doctor Who magazine uh, comic strips. Um, so yeah, I've, mm-hmm. uh, yeah so I've read them all. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, uh, this, is, this is a bit of a blind spot for me as a fan. It's not... I mean, I, I buy Doctor Who magazine on a regular basis and have for many, many years at this point, but the comic strip never really was never really my favorite part of the magazine. And my knowledge of a lot of the older strips was kind of limited to the... What is, what were they called? Strip for Action, I think they were, the series of documentaries on the DVDs. Yeah. That they started okay. doing, yeah. kind of giving overviews of each Doctor's kind of comic book era. Um, so that was kind of my knowledge of it. I've dipped my toes in it from time to time. I'm probably more familiar with some of the more recent stuff that I am a lot of the older stuff though. I did collect some of the classics at one point when they were coming out during the, the sixth and seventh doctor comics getting reprinted. So this was sort of virgin territory for me as it were. Yeah. I I would say that I'm intermediate between those two positions. I've read uh, a fair amount of them. I have, I think six of the Panini uh, black and white collections that, that are published in the original form that they were published in the magazine um i've read most of the stuff from the tom baker era so most of the fourth doctor comic strips uh and then periodically i've read like i have this volume of the of the fifth doctor i have a sixth doctor volume of, of the classics uh the idw book and then i have a couple of the panini books from the eighth doctor era as well that i believe alan barnes was writing at the time um so I kind of jump around, like it's, I'm a little all over the place. And then, and then, of course, in the modern magazine, I, I subscribed, well, not subscribed, but was picking them up at the comic book store, so technically subscribed. So I got it every month for, oh, three, four years. So I was reading along with the comic strip then, too. And that was during the very end of the uh, Matt Smith era and through, I think I read all, I probably read all of the Capaldi stuff, um, or pretty close to don't think I've read much of the strip with, with uh, the 13th Doctor, with Jody's Doctor, but yeah. It actually isn't. Catch up at some point. Seems to have really. Um, they don't seem to be doing the comic strip anymore for whatever no, reason. They, they dropped it, and actually, that has been one of the reasons. Unlike what you, know, um, what you said about it, Matthew. Um, like that was one of the perks for me was the comic strip and it was one of the i i really like doctor who magazine in general i was still very much would buy it if i saw it i just haven't been like out looking for it <laughs> lately i do get a digital copy of it uh through a, a service yeah. every month but i don't read it like i used to uh and dropping the comic strip even i even when i wouldn't go and cut co- read it cover to cover i would always make sure and get in there and read the, the comic strip and I'll go into as we get it, dive into re, you know reviewing this book, whether or not I think they were always of great quality, because you know, but but still, it was it was the perk. I always wanted to read the the strips. So yeah, yeah. I think that was something they did kind of out of economic thing, but also I think they'd done a reader survey or something at some point. And weirdly, I think for for the minor uproar that happened on Twitter when they made the announcement, they were stopping the strip for a time at least. Um, and people who were seem to be upset about that, you know, it was something that um, apparently there was some readers poll or something that was done and people just kind of the, the comic strip apparently lost out in that or something, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe people just aren't used to consuming it in those small little portions like the strip coming out once a month. And, you know, there were four or five, six part stories going on. Um, 
was the norm and I don't know, maybe that they're collecting them later into graphic novels and maybe the graphic novels is the way, I mean, that's always the way I kind of consumed things with this one exception of, (laughs) of Dr. Who magazine. So I was getting the magazine every month. I was, I was reading it. I was, you know, consuming it little bits at a time. I think they only got one collection out for the 13th doctor uh, from Panini. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think there may only be a total of, I mean, is that everything until they discontinued the strip, or is there one more that they could do? I don't know. I think that I'm a little behind. I like subscribe to it through digitally through uh, Amazon because the delivery yeah. of the physical thing was so irregular around here. Even yeah. though I had a subscription from the comic book store, but it's like they'd get like three or four issues every like three or four months. So, <laughs> right. I had that situation <laughs> at the comic book store as well. And then I found a service that that would send them to me in the mail but um they were first of all like weeks behind on getting them and it was just so expensive it was like almost double cover price or even more than that so unfortunately now that i'm getting it on uh, my kindle i'm so far behind because it just sort of arrives and it's there and i don't always know even or remember that it's same here. I've let about two years of it pile up on me, and I do I do open them up and flip through from time to time, but I'm not reading it like I used to. Yeah, I have the local Barnes and Nobles here seems to get them in fairly regular, though it's one of those that I've seen anywhere from six anywhere from six weeks to a couple of months late getting issues, and if a special comes out in the meantime, they'll skip the regular issue sometimes, which is really annoying for me. I mean, I I mainly buy it for the articles and stuff from the kind of particularly the research point of view because that's what i'm interested in but it's it can be annoying it's the reason why i think it was in chicago last year one of the things i did i think i spent 20 30 bucks buying pa- buying back issues from the previous year yeah. from one of the vendors in the dealer's room yeah well cool i just uh wanted to get a little bit of background there on yeah doctor who magazine has always been kind of a staple of, of the fandom i think and it, it, it it's it's really cool that doctor who has had a dedicated magazine for so long i think it's the longest running fanzine in history at this point um dedicated to the show so especially through the wilderness I, years when you didn't have right. a show. <laughs> yeah yeah this was the official of this before uh, there was the you know virgin novels but well well bbc wasn't doing any of this stuff. This was kind of the official release of the only Doctor Who that was quote-unquote official at the time. But so. I will say one more thing about Doctor Who magazine, which is that I, well, maybe two more things. One is that uh, they used to have these little, like, one-page prose stories, one or one-and-a-half-page prose stories, and somehow yeah. they have not collected them anywhere else that I can see, and it seems like they're missing out on, on an opportunity because... They had some really good stuff, and they had some really good writers putting out those little, little things. Um, I think some of those are caught up in, I think they're caught up in some of the rights issues, because a lot of those tied in with the Virgin New Adventures. And the Virgin books themselves are tied up in some, apparently are tied in a number of rights issues, of course, because it would not be Doctor Who if there wasn't rights issues. (laughs) So... I do know a couple of them were collected when they reprinted the was it the Mark of Mandragora or whatever it was the seventh there was a seventh Doctor collection yeah. that was published and mm-hmm. I think that's got a story by Paul Cornell in there and I think an Andrew Cartmel one in that as well but that was okay. way back in the nineties yeah yeah and uh, yeah and I guess um, I assume that uh, uh, Russell Davies will go back 
to writing a monthly column for it. So maybe I that, hope so. Maybe that link <laughs> is its profile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I miss you know I, I Chris Chibnall did it for a little. I think we talked about this last yeah. week, but yeah, I I miss that having the you know the creator or the, the showrunner. Um, yeah. the creator that sounds like <laughs> but, uh, yeah I miss having that I, I miss a lot of things I miss the comic strip too I mean yeah. I, it wasn't even always that great lately but I still miss it yes. <laughs> so, but, uh, well speaking of comic strips that aren't always that great we should dive into uh, this uh, volume of fifth doctor comics um, bearing the lead right in the beginning <laughs> I was gonna say and we can we can we just end the show right there? Yeah. yeah. Our review, don't read it. Come back next time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's start with uh, Lunar Lagoon, which was written by uh, Steve Parkhouse and drawn by Mick Austin. Um, it originally appeared in issues six, 76 and 77 of uh, Doctor Who magazine and was reprinted the Panini graphic graphic novel the tides of time so um this features the doctor trying to relax with his second favorite second favorite hobby which is fishing apparently uh we do see him fishing quite a bit throughout you know the history of the television show and such so i i guess i do believe this i just he uh i think it all comes from a line in this this or the next story where he says it's his second favorite pastime so seems like uh, an odd choice for the doctor so fishing it, it does <laughs> yeah it's like he's why, not why not somebody, go hunting next <laughs> yeah he's not somebody that i ever see doing anything relaxing like i th- I always thought he was kind of you know joking himself when he's like oh we're gonna relax and you know obviously he can only sit down for about five minutes before he's up and off to do something else or yeah. right and fishing is one of those things that you sit there sometimes for hours on end without getting a bite and it's like i can't imagine the doctor doing this but you know yeah If you wanted as a story conceit, I guess I'll go with it. I think I also find it conceptually problematic, um, unless he's a catch and release, which isn't really put out. I I just assumed he was a catch and release just by knowing the doctor. (laughs) 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 Or catch and make friends with and take aboard the TARDIS. Yeah, um, so we find him fishing again in the South Pacific where he is... uh, captured by a japanese japanese soldier uh stranded on this an island where it's just where he's landed the tardis fishing uh that insists that the uh world war ii is still being fought and the doctor's like you know argues with him no 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 it can't possibly be it's 1963 the war is over you know you throw down your gun and we can i can take you home and all this stuff and um the the, the, the soldier whose name is fuji which is a little iffy is a name of a japanese character in this but um is uh yeah he uh just it just insistent upon that and um there is a doctor witnesses a a, a dog fight in the sky and it's like oh okay something's going on that's got to be some kind of alternative um and uh an american soldier parachutes down to the island after being shot down and um yeah and eventually ends up uh shooting and killing Fuji when Fuji tries to fire back. The doctor has taken the bullets out of his gun. Um, so why is it, before I go on to ask the next question, what is it about the fifth doctor? Because I don't feel like this happened on TV, but why is everyone in the spinoff material spin the fifth doctor stuff like to the 
darkest degree that it ever could possibly i feel like this is like and this is going to happen again in this collection but the endings of these stories are like the biggest like dark and downer endings and i feel like we've had two or three fifth doctor stories that we've looked at that have been kind of that way um yeah. and we didn't even ever look at uh, creatures of beauty <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh. anyway yeah, that was I, a... I, I do wonder if it's like the the lasting kind of overshadow sort of um let me try that sentence again I do wonder if it's kind of the sort of lasting legacy of things like Earthshock or Warriors of the Deep. Well, Warriors of the Deep hadn't aired, I think, at the time this was done, because there's, there's another fun continuity goof in the next story where the, suddenly the, the Fifth Doctor can't swim. Um, but yeah. I do wonder, you know, you think about the kind of the downer endings of those things, Earthshock in particular, famously killing Adric, right. mm-hmm. um, if that's kind of what they do. There's also, I think, a kind of a bright cheeriness to the fifth doctor that i think spinoff writers i think like kind of trying to contrast by putting him into increasingly dark situations and sometimes they get they gets kind of ludicrous i mean is it necromantia i think for the big finish audios i think is a case in point and peter davison famously on that one basically told big finish if they ever hired that writer again he would not work for them so <laughs> But I, it, it does seem kind of odd that this, and it's it's also a bit like, there's a whole weird thing later in the wilderness years with Dodo, where everybody's kind of trying to one-up themselves about <laughs> what's the worst thing we can do to Dodo. And I, and I just, I don't know if there's like a sick, twisted side to fandom, or maybe we just enjoy seeing characters suffer. I honestly don't know. Right. Well, that's one thing we do, I definitely feel like we do know about fandom, that there is definitely a sick, twisted side to them, so... Touche. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I do find it interesting because yeah, I mean, definitely, um, you know, Earthshock, uh, and and you're right. I don't think Warriors of the Deep had aired, and, and certainly Caves of Androzani had not aired. That that's a little bit of a darker, heavier story. But I don't ever feel like they were dark in the way that these are and that's that's the doctor unintentionally causing death the doctor making bad decisions or the doctor just being helpless which i think is actually going to relate less to this collection and more back to the the fifth doctor story in the um short trips book that asad and i um Mm, reviewed and the name of the story is is leave me but that just left him totally you know helpless and, and basically watching a situation play out that he had no power to change, which is always kind of odd in a Doctor Who story. Yeah. So, um, like Caves of Androzani. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, you know, the case of Androzani famously is, you know, a story where the fifth Doctor is essentially a guest star in his own show. <laughs> right. Wow. Um, yeah, Lunar Lagoon's very brief. It's a two-parter. It... Um, kind of sets up this the a character of and I'm going to say sets up loosely the character of Gus who will be the companion throughout the next couple of adventures. Um and I say that that it's loosely because he seems to have a major change in character even from one frame to the you know last frame of this to the first frame of the next for sure. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, he he becomes a much different kind of character but um I don't know. Not, not a whole lot to say about it. What do you? Any thoughts on Lunar Lagoon? And um, it's it's kind of straightforward, in my opinion. <laughs> like just, well, I mean, like Steve Parkhouse. I guess he was consistently the writer for the towards the end of the Fourth Doctor's uh, things, and then all of the Fifth Doctor's comic adventures, and at least the first few of 
maybe actually maybe even all of the six doctors adventures so he does manage to keep up some sort of through line of uh, story wise and introduce some elements that he comes back to himself uh, later uh, story wise this kind of I think Doctor Who for a long time has had issues when they're dealing with characters that are not British or European and yeah. I think Fuji in this one is also kind of I don't know, it's something vaguely problematic. I don't think that being like deliberately, but there is something vaguely problematic reading. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does feel very much like he is a early 80s, late 70s, early 80s British idea of what a Japanese soldier from World War II ought to be like. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think that that was something that kind of leapt out at me. Also, uh, being the history nerd that I am, not that long ago I read Max Hastings' Retribution, which is on the last year of the Pacific War, which of course deals with a lot of Japanese soldiers from World War II. And it's just something about that just kind of rang hollow to me. It's also weird for me. It's a story called Lunar Lagoon that has absolutely, right. that is neither <laughs> set nor in a, set in the lagoon nor features the moon in any meaningful way. Yeah. And the other weird thing for me is, uh, being the alternate history nerd that I am and writer that I am, is and we were talking about the same writer being across this. The continuity doesn't line up because at one point the doctor says it's 1983, and then we find out it's 1963, and it's like, well, which, which one is it? That's a and it's also that yeah. there's a really interesting idea there of what if World War II had gone on another 20 to 40 years. Oh, yeah, I think and exploring that, and it's absolutely not touched upon at all, except in a in a quick passing reference. Yeah. I mean, looking at it from the sci-fi, I mean, that becomes, because, like, I can go with, like, the Doctor thought it was 1983, but he's been wrong before. Um, it's not Fair like there's enough. anybody around to tell him what year it was. But when they, it's in the next story that they go into, hey, it's actually 1963, I think. And it's like, um, okay, maybe 1963, and they're fighting World War Two, but they're using Mustangs and Zeros, so... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The, te the technology hasn't moved along yeah. at all, which, which you know, is a it's a very H.G. Wells things to come idea that you know global war leads to basically technology stagnating, which is not how real life tends to work. Well, we're not, and we're not at the genesis of the Daleks point yet either. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, but it's like there's a really interesting idea that could be dealt with there of what the, what in the world's happened to cause. Right. You know, World War Two to go on for an extra twenty to forty years, right. and it's yeah. just never touched upon whatsoever. Right. That's a it's a side note to everything else that happens, both in this and in the following story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they never they never world build that out at all. Like you yeah. never get to see the outside world and uh, deal with that in any way. So. Yeah. And it's almost this... unnecessary to even have it as even a passing yeah. reference. One hundred percent. Yeah. 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 It's really only there to help. Well, to get this other character into place and to help the doctor uh, realize that he was wrong about the time period, which ends up not mattering because they don't do anything with it. So, right. Uh, well, even that, it's, like it's, there's this one panel here, which is R with the doctor is saying, it can't be happening. This is 1983. It can't be happening, but you don't actually know for sure. It's not like the first time you've been in the wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. You don't know yeah. it's 1983. Calm down. <laughs> Uh, it's just it's just kind of strange. Yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't, and I don't know how much to like, you know, put focus on this as a story, as it, it, it like it's its own entity as a story, and how much it was just meant to be a piece of like the ongoing comic strip. Because obviously, this this bleeds into the next story pretty heavily. It's kind of a prologue to it right. with continuity errors, of course, but <laughs> right. <laughs> but it does. It kind of sets, you know, it gets it gets Gus into the TARDIS, and you you know puts uh, the Doctor in this place where he's going to end up back at i believe at the end of the whole the whole thing when he's uh yeah right dropping gus off which we'll get yeah. to that ending eventually here but um and i'm not necessarily so a fan of uh mick austin's artwork <laughs> yeah and i think they've done a nice job in the um and i know you're looking at the panini book right so yeah, yeah. so yeah and i think they've done a nice job colorizing it but yeah his likenesses are at times rough and I, and I try not to criticize too heavily i know they make this on a low budget and under high time constraints um but you know it's uh oh, i, I mean, believe that yeah. some other artists that in the including um right got dave gibbons in the first dave and... gibbons yeah that's who i was trying to think of yeah. did a pretty incredible job yeah with it i think but um... yeah famously because i went back and watched the strip for action on the fifth doctor this kind of research for this. Famously, Davison along with McCoy were the doctors that they had the hardest time getting, being able to really kind of caricature and do likenesses of. Mm -hmm. And apparently it got to the point that Peter Davison himself was getting annoyed with it to the point he actually called their office up and arranged a photo shoot thing so they could take lots of headshot references of him <laughs> to try and get his likeness better in the comic. Because some of them that were that are featured in the strip for action from earlier in the run were apparently pretty diabolical. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a couple instances here where it's like, well, that does not look even a thing like Peter. Like, you couldn't... You It's almost like you deliberately tried to not draw Peter Davis in there, but... Um... Is it his yeah, pleasant open and... face, as Terrence Sticks describes him? <laughs> yes, must be. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, Weirdly, I... I think he was better in in four-dimensional vistas than he did when he did Lunar Lagoon. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and there's there's points where it's fine. I'm not saying everything's everything's bad. There's just some weird ones that just... And, and you know, like I said, I don't know the behind-the-scenes story to... And I, I certainly can't draw very well, so I'm not going to hurl too much criticism his way. In general, it's fine. It's not like it makes it unreadable or anything, or you're totally confused yeah. about what you're looking at. But right. um, there are some moments if he didn't have the doctor's, you know, <laughs> the doctor's clothes on, I might not be so sure. But <laughs> yeah, there there are times he looks more like Ken from Barbie than he does Peter Davidson. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I think we'll hold off grading these individually, and uh, since they are kind of one continuity, and we'll just we'll just talk about it at the end, and maybe maybe put Skywatch Seven out as an outlier because it's not tied into the rest of this. But um, any any thoughts on any thoughts on Lunar Lagoon before we move on to the next chapter, which is uh, four dimensional vistas? Oh, I got nothing additional. <laughs> at right. least it's short. Yes. Yes, okay. it is short. <laughs> That is, yeah, and and it honestly, it's fine as like a little aside, but for it to be like the prologue to the next, you know, the next big story, which Four Dimensional Vistas is a, a six-parter and definitely a bigger um, feeling story with a lot more going on. It just doesn't really, I don't know. I guess <laughs> it will, does, doesn't really do it for me. Yes, I, I will say that it's a nice little bit of characterization that they give a little depth to Fuji about him, 
you know, not necessarily being a soldier or a good soldier, or trying to be a good, but he's trying to be a good soldier, but uh, considering that, you know, he gets, just gets killed at the end and nobody really seems to care. Yeah. Particularly yeah. afterwards. It's like... <laughs> and the doctor makes a somber comment at yes. the end, but at, <laughs> besides that line, you know, of him, you know, it, it's a good line about him trying to convince himself that I, I should read it. I have it right here, but convince himself that he was right about his decision. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, perhaps if I just perhaps if I repeat it often enough, I'll believe it. But yeah, just talking about his decision of removing the bullets from his gun, which got Fuji killed. So, <laughs> um, but yeah. oh well. So on to Four Dimensional Vistas, where we meet the Time Meddler, who is working with the Ice Warriors at a base in the Arctic. Um, As you do. To, yeah, to um, create a sonic weapon that they're going to use to uh, take over the world or something along those lines. It's pretty... Uh, it's a, <laughs> you know, I don't even think this is a my memory thing. I think this is a... They just don't really give you a lot of details. It's diabolical in some way. So right. it's, it's, a... it's vague and it's caused a <laughs> crisis on infinite Earths, apparently. Right. But... Yeah. Yes, they yep. definitely take a visual cue from that. <laughs> this, does this so, predate that and now i'm trying to wonder because i'm trying to remember when yeah. this was published this was four dimensional vistas was published the 9th of uh june it says june 9th and 10th they didn't come out two days oh no okay sorry it was published june 9th through the 10th of november 1983 so during the run of this uh this comic book story i was born so <laughs> uh anyway yeah uh so yeah the the latter half of 1983 was this uh, six-part story. Um, it was also, this was the first, so we mentioned that the, the Time Meddler, or you may know him as the Meddling Monk as well, the Renegade Time Lord. Uh, actually, the first other Time Lord we run ever run into in the Doctor Who television right. series, before they're even called Time Lords, but we don't need to. Um, <laughs> the, uh, is this, this is his first appearance since we saw him in the um in this tv series so yeah um he does pop up again in there does after the time meddler does he pop up one more time he's um, in the daleks master plan for four episodes and there's a fun tie-in with that because in that and during those four episodes as a result of the of some meddling (laughs) by the doctor (laughs) um the monk's tardis ends up looking like the blue police box as well so that's right that's why he has it right yeah yeah it's a neat bit of continuity in this one that i think it doesn't usually get picked up on. Yeah. Which I had yeah, forgotten I re- about it actually <laughs> so, until I read yeah, it. Yeah, I actually more. took a mental note that he like why is his target that yeah, now I you know, I remember I remember right. him being in I d I didn't remember that point, but I remember him being in the uh Dog's Master Plan. I knew he showed back up one more time after the, the time meddler, but um So yeah, here here we find him uh, mysteriously working with the the Ice Warriors. We're <laughs> given a and, and I'm not going to say that I know everything about Steve Parkhouse's writing, uh, but given the three examples that we get here, um, he does a lot of, well, first of all, he does a lot of tell you, not show you, which is weird for a comic yes. writer. Um, he also seems to just perseverate on what's going on in the frame and not give you a whole lot of details outside of it. So we, we set up that, well, this is what's going on. Here we are in the Arctic Circle. Here's the villains, but we're not going to, 
give you this. And we're in this alternate alternate history. World War II is still going on, but we're not really going to talk about that. So, And here's uh, a random British airliner falling so. out of the sky. <laughs> yes. And I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just, just going to say, yeah, what other elements did we have? We had, uh, there's a unit of soldiers called SAG-3 that are, uh, I don't know, like special uh some kind of um well military ops or special ops force that is uh this is where i don't know if they just didn't have the rights to use unit in doctor who stories at that time for whatever reason are they not part of unit because that was the impression i got was they were part of unit well if i the previous story to this the um stockbridge horror they sort of turn up in the last couple of pages of that where they're described as an obscure branch of army intelligence. Hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe they were having some issues with the rights to, to unit at that point, because that. Yeah, I thought it was weird they didn't use unit, but. And what's also strange yeah, we... is that they just sort of appear here and in four-dimensional vistas, and I don't think they ever appear again. Although they're like a, they're like they've got a telekinesis and telepathy and all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff going on with them. Yeah, they, they're not just special ops. They have almost like superpowers or they're like a, yeah. Uh, so. They're the, they're the X-Men. Not really that yeah. yeah, intense, but. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a, it's an odd story. Uh, we get Gus, as we met in the first, as we met as the murderous American soldier from Lunar uh, Lagoon. We now have as the kind of more jovial uh good old boy companion of the doctor and so he's changed a little bit oddly um, still says he's never killed anyone before which is <laughs> yes right after kill right after killing somebody so he's either a liar like which is possible i suppose but maybe the doctor slipped the between doctor. alternate earths yet again right <laughs> yeah he got alternate gus from you know and let me, that is another kind of weird sequence that really, like, what is the point of this sequence where he gets so thrown out that he walks, the doctor walks out into sea and gets caught by a riptide? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff like that that never really, like, the pieces don't come back together. So it's kind of like, you know, it, it seems like you were telling a story with great economy, like you were, you only had a certain page count. You were trying to get this story told, but then you waste three frames of your comic book on something that doesn't ever go anywhere. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not sure. I, we could have seen something that, that gave us a little bit more information on, well, you know, the ev- the evil scheme that the, the time meddler and the uh, uh, ice warriors had worked out. We could have learned a little more about SAG-3 or seen a bit more of them. We could have learned about the, the war. We could have learned about anything, yeah. but we get... Things like well, that. Many, I think it's there because Gus helps the Doctor into the TARDIS, so it's, I think, to facilitate him getting in there. On the other hand, having said that, I also sit there as a writer and go, there were so many other ways you could have done that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Gus, was, I guess we're in the process of changing Gus into a, a good guy here, but Gus was holding a weapon he could have, you know, marked the doctor into the TARDIS. I mean, that's definitely something we could have gotten him in there right. yeah. that way, too. But yeah. anyway. Put um, me in your time machine to take me back to America, you know. <laughs> yeah, so in, so SAG-3 uh, comes in. Um, the base is kind of blown. The, the 
Ice Warriors and the Time Meddler hop in their TARDIS, or hop in his TARDIS, I should say, and uh, kind of take off, and there's a Transvortex TARDIS chase sequence. <laughs> where, Down um, the literal just kind of corridors of time. Wise. Yeah, um, I've not seen the Time Vortex depicted quite like this before. It's an interesting uh, uh, picture. Obviously, those listening can't see it, but um, if you get a chance, look that up. Just, uh, yeah, because as Matthew said, it's kind of literally a series of corridors. Uh, and then it turns into something like, you know, all I can think of is like the Sea of Holes from the Beatles' Yellow Submarine film or something like that. Right. It's, it's kind of <laughs> psychedelic and odd and, yeah. But interesting, yeah. um, artwork-wise, um, which is one of the better things I can say about this. And then, of course, the Doctor, being this version of the Fifth Doctor that we have, the which we've seen him do this before, but materializes his TARDIS around the, um, well, actually vice versa, shows up just moments before the Time Meddler, uh, he, Time Meddler's TARDIS materializes around the other TARDIS, and he appears inside the TARDIS. We've seen this done on the TV show before. However, in this case, it causes a massive explosion and <laughs> destroys all of the Ice Warriors. So the Doctor's plan wiped out the entire ship full of Ice Warriors and jettisoned this renegade Time Lord, who he knows uh, from the, his has history with, into another dimension just randomly, like shoots him off into nowhere. And it's just like, okay, well, the end, let's go. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't have even a nice little somber line about his behavior in this case. It's just boom, right. I win. Well, it's even more like, uh, yeah, it's more James Bondian. It's nice of you to drop in. Shame you won't be staying long. Yeah, bye. Yeah. Gets a little quip <laughs> there. Yeah, <laughs> it's so very out of character. I don't know. It's just so yeah, weird. The fifth Doctor <laughs> characterization across all three of these stories is just... Right. I mean, I know it was done while that era was going out, and to a certain extent it's still a slightly malleable, they don't quite know where the character is going kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But there's moments in it which are like that. And a couple instances with guns would just feel quite strange. Yes, yeah. and we'll we'll have a big instance of the gun use at the end of the at the end of the <laughs> the somber ending of the yeah. next story. Not to spoil anything yeah. for you, but um, yeah, it's uh, I don't know, I I don't have a whole lot about four dimensional vistas either, except that it's a six part story where not a whole where you don't get a whole lot of details about anything. Yeah, I mean, it's got like we said, they, they throw out these things like about how there's multiple Earths that are a little. Different, different, little out of phase with each other, and I guess the implication is it's because of the Ice Warriors uh, experiments that are going on. But it's all like, it's not very clear at yeah. all. <laughs> I mean, it's... no, I couldn't make heads or tails out of what the master plan was there. So, uh, Sorry, no, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, my to be fair, my comment about all three of these stories is is that there's some wonderful ideas on display, none of which are fully developed enough to actually make a story that I really care about very much, or can really follow enough yeah. to kind of go, ah, that's what's happening. And it's more like, right. and I get that, you know, the, the comic strip's not very long, it's what, five pages or something each month or something. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I get that it's in bite-sized chunks. And there is, as you put it earlier, an economy of storytelling. On the other hand, it would be nice if you told a consistent story there. Um, and had some kind of internal consistency and explanations as you went along. On the other hand, I also recognize that we're also reading this collected in a format that never would have been intended. So it's a bit like some of these Victorian novels that we go back and read today and go, why is there so, you know, why do you keep, you know, wheel spinning? And the answer is somebody's getting paid by the word and having to stretch this out over so many installments. <laughs> well, it's also, it's maybe akin to, um, you know, uh, binging classic doctor yeah who. i mean i was advised against doing that because for that very reason it's just not the way it was designed to be consumed so although the difference i would throw out is that uh, you actually would have your copy of doctor who magazine to read the next month as opposed you... to the episode of doctor who which at one time was just transmitted and then was uh, gone you had to wait for the target book yeah, this was actually... novelization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this was permanent it was on paper so <laughs> Yeah. I think part um, of it is just, I think if I look at, if I think about all of Steve Parkhouse's stories, that just seems to be the, the way that he writes. Even in stories of his that I enjoyed more, like the Tides of Time or the Voyager sequence from the Sixth Doctor, but there's always this element there of, um, yeah, I don't know, he's throwing out stuff and it's not particularly clear sometimes about what or why it's happening. I think the later writers either they were more experienced comic book writers or they just could work with the format a little better even if i didn't enjoy their stories all that much but they certainly put it together much more clearly yeah in this case he seems to have some a couple of interesting ideas but he keeps just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and nothing really ends up sticking as they yeah. say so and yeah, for, for them to take an interesting concept like multiple versions of the Earth and we land on this one where World War II is still going on in the 80s and, you know, to take that concept and make it into what he made it into is just a strange yeah. connection. Well, he didn't make <laughs> it into anything. That's the problem. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I guess it's kind of, well, maybe, I don't know, is this then in tune with like, because like even in the Fifth Doctor and like, uh, uh, Resurrection, risen resurrection of the Daleks. You've just suddenly got this. Hey, also we've got a plan to assassinate the High Council of Time Lords. Just FYI. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Any, any any more thoughts on four dimensional vistas? I think this one was kind of a hot mess. That Lunar Lagoon was just kind of pointless, and this one was a mess. And not that not that it was totally devoid of anything that. Uh, was interesting. There's there's some cool artwork and a couple of yeah, fun moments, yeah, especially getting to see the time meddler and the fifth doctor was kind of fun. I mean, it's I interesting how the it. how the ice warriors pretty much get mopped mopped up by like half a dozen human troops. <laughs> They're well trained mm -hmm. human yeah. troops, though. Right. I, I have to say, Sack Three's assault on on the ice warrior base at the North Pole is probably my favorite bit of this, if only because it's the it's bit right that on. makes the most sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of, and maybe you enjoyed this more, Matthew. How the Ice Warriors vehicle looks like a German half track. Yeah, I did <laughs> notice that. <laughs> yeah, and it continued to uh, have just very interesting interpretations of the Fifth Doctor art-wise mm. as well here. So, <laughs> but uh, 
We'll move on to the third story. This is called The Moderator, also written by uh, Steve Parkhouse, but this one drawn by Steve Dillon. So he gets some different artwork, and it was greatly appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think just the, the quality, my enjoyment of the story, uh, I think the story's better too, but like that, that definitely was an element that made it more enjoyable right away. But, right. There's some um, really good Davison likenesses in this, it has to be said. Yeah. This one, it's much better. It's it's a um, yeah. And again, I, I feel I feel bad making harsh criticisms of people that have skills that I don't. But Mick Austin just wasn't clicking with the Fifth Doctor, so <laughs> just. Um, but yeah, this one is uh, the Doctor and Gus show up on a planet called Celeste, where they become entangled in a mining. Um, colony revolution of sorts and face off against uh the um what would you call it a co- they call it a combat robot called the Rekka, right. uh which is um but it's more like uh it's almost more like a, a a henchman of the the uh rich frog guy uh dog bolter um jw dog bolter who is uh a, a tycoon who owns this, uh, you know, mining colony, and I, I imagine many other things. Um, who also happens to be a frog, cigar smoking. I was gonna say frog, he's this so weird frog, yeah, this here. weird <laughs> frogman character who, it has to be said, has now had a long, a long life, not just in Doctor Who magazine, but has now crossed into some of the big Finnish stuff as well. So, uh, oh yeah, he uh, turns up again, huh? Yeah, no surprise there. Uh, <laughs> the big Finnish yeah. one, anyway. yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, the, the doctor and, uh, Gus are help kind of, uh, help stir up this, uh, revolt. Uh, he, dog bolter sends the Rekka after him, which is a combat robot designed to kill. Um, but also happens to be certifiably insane, uh, and kind of goes off of his program. Although he does a good job of actually solving they they say like oh he's totally unpredictable because he's 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 mad but he actually does a good job of accomplishing his orders they're like yeah his tasks so i'm not sure how how mad he really is he just says funny things <laughs> like um but anyway uh and then yeah so it, we end up we start the story off seeing this this character flying around in the kind of this uh modded out space suit that's almost like a tank suit of sorts and he's kind of just flying around, listening to talking about this song that he can't get out of his head, and he's blasting stuff. He blows up, blows up this pyramid. Um, we come to find out later that this guy is—we're actually—that's kind of a flash forward. Um, he's actually tracking the TARDIS because uh, Dog Bolter had sent him after the Doctor and Gus. He's tracking the TARDIS across the uh, universe, and um, he's actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he is actually a uh, the moderator. He's Dog Bolter's moderator, quote unquote, um, that is supposed to barter the sale of the TARDIS because Bolt, uh, Dog Bolter decides he wants to buy the TARDIS at the end of this. So this definitely suffers from some of the same issues criticisms that I made of Steve Parkhouse last time, but I do think it's a more enjoyable story. It's quirkiness and some of the stuff uh, and the, and the artwork, the better artwork I think uh, is going to knock it up a few points for me. So um, before we discuss the ending, do you guys have any thoughts on, or what are your thoughts on the moderator as a story? Well, he's definitely going into a 
Lobo and going into real 2000 AD stylings here, which is uh, not yeah. a bad thing, necessarily. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not a fan of Lobo, back... but 2000 AD, definitely, there's strong elements of that over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh... yeah, it kind of brings back some of the flavor of the early um, Tom Baker uh strips actually because the the essentially they just kind of borrowed people from 2000 ad i believe in the first part <laughs> and, right. and those had a the similar kind of style but yeah. right yeah bat bat mills yeah he was uh john and john wagner were both writers on early uh fourth doctor stuff so yeah um, and did some good work it has to be said i mean iron legion in particular i think holds up very well mm -hmm. i've said before if you if you wanted to do a doctor who feature film something like iron legion would be if you were looking for something to already that existed to adapt iron legion would be a good choice to do because again it's a very big high concept um right mm -hmm. circling back around to this i think of the three stories this is probably the mo the one that feels narratively most consistent and as you said, there is this kind of wonderful quirkiness in is it Dog Bolter is just is kind of this wonderful tycoony character. I love this. I love the thing when he realizes the Doctor has a time machine and he goes through this wonderful piece of logic of time is money. Therefore, if you have a time machine, you would have infinite money. Correct? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I just because I thought it that way makes it yeah. true. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> No, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed that character. Uh, I actually wish we got a little bit more. I, I understand that you know, like we we've talked about with both the other stories, that it is a you know the comic strip is relatively short in space, and it, you know you only get what you get. So, I also thought the moderator character was kind of an interesting concept and was amusing uh, to a certain extent. Although his primary purpose is violence, of course, but just um, blowing up innocent I, yeah, planets. Like the, like, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like the fact, you know, when, when you hear Dog Vulture say, well, I'm gonna, how are you how are you going to talk him into it? Like after the doctor and Gus kind of storm off and leave and he's like, well, I'll just call in my moderator, you know, and you think he's. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's just, it's interesting. It's it's not. a Oh, and I also thought the Reco was was kind of fun as well. And if, if you haven't seen the artwork and obviously we're doing this in an audio only format, so it's tough to talk about some of the, the character designs here. But he's a like large metal man type machine with weaponry and such on him. But he's got a big kind of like crazy smile and uh, uh, big goofy eyes. So I guess that, you know, shows that, that is insane. You know, so. definitely like but. like something from out of the ABC Warriors from 2008. <laughs> yeah that reminds me of, and i haven't i haven't read well, really hardly any 2080 but what i'm aware of it's artwork and such yeah. and i've read some judge dread i suppose that's yeah and but um yeah so definitely reminds me of that kind of thing but so yeah there is enough fun like little things here that i i was willing to kind of you know forget about the fact that we're not given a whole lot of details again about the world like the world building just does, doesn't exist really and um yeah right so, um gus is a little bit um leaves a little bit to be desired as a companion he doesn't do much except he's there to just kind of like the doctor to kind of talk at so which there have certainly been those other companions that are like that as well but sure. <laughs> it's, uh, he's very much yeah. a cipher i mean he's He's there, and that's about the most I can say for him. Again, it's it's a really interesting idea for a character of here's a here's an American pilot from an alternate World War II traveling the universe, 
getting to see beyond mm-hmm. the, beyond his own war torn world, and they again do absolutely nada with it. Yeah, and he seems right away, and maybe he's just a homebody kind of guy. I don't know, but he seems to lack any like real wonder about any of it. <laughs> so it's you know. Well, we do learn at the end that he's from Akron, Ohio, so he's like 45 minutes south of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, I think the one weird yeah. sort of, I guess, maybe we should always expect one out-of-character moment, or maybe I just found it weird moment where the doctor says he'd like half a pound of frog spawn as payment for the TARDIS. It's like, uh, what yeah, was I that thought they were going to explain that. <laughs> <laughs> but then I then I forgot it was Steve Parkhouse writing it. <laughs> but, Especially considering yeah. this is like the Doctor's first meeting with Dog Bolter. It's not like... <laughs> <sighs> so, yeah, yeah that was what weird. A weird <laughs> I, I, and I wonder with stuff like that, like, is that something that led to a frame that had to be dropped or a story concept that they couldn't fit in or something? Because it just seems out of left field. But, yeah, I feel like there's got to be an explanation somewhere. Uh I mean, he left a lot, un, a lot, a lot unexplained in other places here too. So it, at least fine. he's, uh, at least he's consistent in being inconsistent. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I'll sell you the TARDIS for your children. That's yep. that's the doctor. That's the doctor for you. <laughs> yeah, that's almost as on brand as him, you know, exploding <laughs> ships and you know, killing uh, Japanese soldiers. I guess not technically killing, but you know. Um, yeah, so speaking of off-brand Doctor, I suppose we should talk about the very end of this thing, which this fun kind of rompy story with these inter- like these eccentric characters and everything that uh, I was really enjoying has to, of course, end in a giant, like, weird downer. <laughs> and uh, so they escape the situation. Uh, he says, you know no to dog bolter they can't reach their terms about frog spawn or whatever and uh they leave and uh gus wants to go home so the doctor we get the impression from a couple lines that maybe somewhere in between all this stuff he's been trying to get him home before but anyway he gets him back to the the island we land back where we were and in uh, lunar lagoon and gus is like well it's not akron ohio but close enough for me i'm out of here and then like, the moderator. Who knows? Yeah, is it 1963 on this parallel earth? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could be 83, could be 63. We have no idea. Uh, the doctor certainly doesn't know. Um, so, yeah, then the moderator catches up with them. And like just like one frame just buzzes down, blows Gus away, just like... And uh, uh, at the same time, Gus draws his weapon and fires three shots, at which... I did find kind of funny is the moderators in this giant, like we described it earlier, like it's a, like almost like a wearable tank. Right. And the three bullets just go right through it and kill him falls out of the sky. And he's his last, like one of the last things he says is like, Oh, it's this, uh, this suit was designed to stop like energy beams yeah. and such. They're I never like thought the board from Star Trek. Hot you know, lead and energy like, weapons don't work. So, you take them down. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yep. So uh, or have or have uh, data strangle one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Gus. Uh, Gus dies, and the, the the song that had been plaguing the, the 
the moderator the whole time that we yeah. didn't we don't hear but well, we don't hear it at all because it's on paper but we don't know what the song is until the end it ends up being the song we'll meet again which uh, ties into the world war ii thing and um, that was a nice touch but, um, but if yeah if that was all this setup was for though that was ridiculous <laughs> but it just it almost set it up just to have like a somber like that song be playing as gus is dying in the doctor's arms essentially it's like wow did that go to a dark place if i think it got gus home and they he gets, you know, blasted, and uh, yeah, then the doctor picks up the gun and shoots the headset of the thing, turning the song off. I had to go actually to the description of what happened there uh, to really figure out what. Luckily, we have you know legions of nerds throughout the ages that have uh, written things up about this because from the actual frame in the comic book. I'm not sure exactly what the doctor does with the gun. It almost kind of looks like he finishes off the moderator. Right. Apparently that's not the case. Because right. then the next frame, we see the moderator has actually survived the incident. Right. Um, and, of course, then Dog, Dog Bolter's uh, stooge, his little robot stooge, uh, I'm looking for the name, uh, Hob, does away with him. So that's, that's the actual end of the story, but... That's three for three where we skewed dark at the end of these Fifth Doctor yeah. stories in this collection. It's, it's kind of an odd odd thing. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and according to the TARDIS wiki, this was the final Fifth Doctor comic strip in, in the Doctor Who Monthly. Right. It was, I believe, because, yeah, they uh, change over to the Sixth Doctor next, so, obviously. But, right. yeah. so. They bring back Dog Bolter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to go and check it out. I, I, I kind of enjoyed that character, so I even have some of the later ones. I don't think I've run into Dog Bolter again, though, so... Well, and the... I think in the 13th Doctor collection, they actually bring back Dog Bolter's daughter. Hmm, so, okay. yeah, It's Frog Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you finally got, got that Frog Spawn, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's, uh, this, uh, this is kind of interesting, this uh, little... This emotional panel with the doctor crying over Gus's body. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Some strong feelings there, Doc. <laughs> and you barely knew it's him. It's intense. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm not, I never got the impression they were super close. I mean, not that it wouldn't be upsetting for, you know, right. that to happen, but still, the doctor has seen a lot of upsetting things and not had that emotional of a reaction. So, yeah. Maybe it was the music. It was just all set to the right music. Yeah. So, it's true. I, I do get affected by music. Right yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Any uh, final thoughts about the moderator before we move on to our last story here, which is unrelated to the rest of these that are in? It's just I don't know. The, seems kind of. Yeah, I don't know about this whole thing about just dog bolter get having the moderator killed for some un uh, failure. Nobody yeah, fails I assumed me. Yeah, it was because he failed. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... For a businessman, that seems like a bad decision. But yeah, <sighs> it is a okay. it's a very '80s version of what a businessman would do, I suppose. But you know, <laughs> yeah, it's well, he's kind of one of those you know businessman with a firm set of quotes. Kind of you know, I figure he's you know, ahead of a. Right. large organized crime syndicate more than this but refer, but believes himself wholeheartedly to be a businessman i mean that's what he what he thinks he is so yeah yeah, but, yeah. 
Also, probably overthinking Dog Bolter as a character at this right. point. But. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, I don't think okay. I have much anything else to say. Well, I guess, and we don't really. I guess the inhabitants of Celeste are still slaves to Dog Bolter's organization. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. that's not quite clear either at the end of this. It's <laughs> never made clear that who, yeah, how the skirmish actually turns out. <laughs> Steve Parkhouse can't be bothered with things like that. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's got to give us a dark and depressing ending. To Re- instead, so. Resolution? What's that? <laughs> yeah, well... Your guess is as good as mine. I have no idea. They could, they could all still be slaves. Right. So. Yeah. Which makes the basically three for I guess okay I guess they successfully foiled the the ice warrior plot in the four four dimensional vistas so they're not three for three I was gonna say it's three for three of the fifth doctor losing essentially but yeah, yeah. that's uh, yeah so Skywatch seven uh, is a in two part story Doctor Light story that was published actually prior to the ones we just read in uh, dis- November December of nineteen eighty one and. Um, yeah, so it's uh, basically the Doctor Who version of the uh, Thing from Another World, or John Carpenter's The Thing. Right. Uh, he, the author even said that he uh, was very, or based this upon the uh, short story Who Goes There, which those those two films were also based upon. Right. Um, which is very obvious if you know that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you say based, you mean like, pretty much lifted <laughs> yeah yes well yes. I, d- d- I had wondered because there's of course howard hawks directed the thing from another world and there is a captain mm-hmm. hawks in this so i, I figured that yeah. was a bit of a, a bit of a hat tip well plus you yeah, also so... have the character named campbell and who wrote and john campbell wrote who who goes there oh so. i didn't catch that <laughs> yeah you got campbell and hawks so and this of course was prior to the John Carpenter movie right. just 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 shortly prior to but yeah cuz yeah, it didn't so. come out till summer so, of 82 if memory serves 82 yeah i believe yep that's right um so yeah if you, if you don't know the story of that it's a this one it's a unit arctic base called skywatch 7 uh that loses radio contact after a meteor falls close by um they send somebody out to investigate they uh come back as a zygon and they pretty much reveal that right away <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but to it to its credit, this is an incredibly brief story. Like I don't even think it's got the whole page count of the, the even the like sections. I think are only like a page or so, or or a page or so shorter than the other uh, parts that we got from the other one. I'm counting right now. Yeah, they're like three page, two three page sections. I think. So. Yeah, I mean it's seven um, pages all told. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's very brief. So I'm not going to hold that to the against them too much that they don't right. spend a lot of time on the mystery aspect of it. But but yeah, they get to play because Zygons, of course, are shapeshifters, and they kind of play the um, you know who goes there thing from another world thing with uh, you know you can't tell if somebody is it the real them real their real selves or a Zygon. Although I think it's only um, yeah, only Campbell one character who really yeah. gets <laughs> changed. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, they end up killing the real Campbell because they think that he's the Zygon shapeshifter, and uh, then jettison the Zygon out onto the onto the ice and uh, see it sinking. And right. that's the end? Question mark. I guess so. Um, but yeah, it's is what it is. It's it's very brief. So I I don't know. What do you guys think of uh, think of Skywatch Seven as a story? Yeah. 
seems like a page filler, does its job <laughs> efficiently yeah. enough. It's kind of interesting that I guess that the Zygon actually doesn't kill anybody, so they're... Uh, <laughs> Even when he beats up the radio officer, it's uh, you know he doesn't kill the radio officer, so mm. yeah. kind of don't necessarily feel that it's super villainous in terms of um, Doctor Who usual terms of villainy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's he doesn't seem to be real, yeah, real dangerous. Um, and I was actually surprised, being that knowing, being familiar with the subject material or what it was based on, that there didn't end up being many Zygons. It was just kind of that one. Right. One one guy got replaced, and that that was that. So, but yeah, I, I think because it's just what it was, just a filler story, like you said. I think it was fine. I actually kind of enjoyed the artwork. That full like uh, big frame. I don't remember if it was a full page um, of the Zygon at the end. Yeah, it's a full yeah. page Zygon. Um, is really cool. I like that artwork a lot. Uh, the colorization actually darkens it up a little too much. I actually like the black and white um, original. Uh, Doctor Who magazine one, but that's a cool Zygon. Um, yeah. Anyway, the artwork's a little inconsistent, but in places it's really yeah. great. Yeah, I mean the stuff, the portrayal of the Zygons, and as you were saying, it's really good. And for you know a seven-page page filler, it's it's a, it's far better than it has absolutely any right to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not only is it a seven-page page filler, but it's based on something that I feel like I was familiar. You know, it's kind of a familiar story too, but still manages to be pretty entertaining i think it's something about that uh well i mean doctor who knows how to do a base under siege story yeah. right that's uh <laughs> right. um and i just noticed uh by the way that mick austin drew this so they're there we we kind of cut down on his artwork because his fifth doctor stuff and i really liked some of his artwork here so yeah it must just be something about peter davison's face that doesn't get along with mick austin, apparently but... didn't get along for a lot of the yeah, artists so. and i know um <laughs> yeah I know even in the IDW comic, was it IDW, or I think it was IDW did, um, was it The Forgotten apparently had a hard time with him mm. as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Huh. I wonder if it's just something about, I don't know, I, I didn't think of that, like something about somebody's face that just makes it hard to render them. Like, I don't know. I wonder. Peter Davison obviously doesn't feel real great about that <laughs> if he <laughs> called them up and made yeah. him fix it, so, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about this because it's so brief, but I generally enjoyed it. I thought it was cool, and I really liked the some of the artwork. Um, yeah. I um, can't, can't really dive a whole lot deeper than that. Yeah, I guess they have the usual conflict about should unit deal with this by diplomacy or gunfire? Yeah. Because they have, yeah, they have the... I guess, well, he's also the doctor, the base doctor, who's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, because there is no... Challenging the... Yeah, there is no doctor in this one either, which is kind of interesting. Right. Yes, yeah. Doctor, and I don't know how, how common it was for a Doctor Who magazine strip to be Doctor Light. Well, I know that this, they had uh, this. They had an Auton story of some roughly the same length, like seven or eight Alan pages. Moore, of all yeah. people. Yeah, and um, mm. and they also, of course, they also had Absalom Doc yeah. for a while. There was a but there was so. there was oh, a yeah, backup yeah. strip in a lot of the early magazines, and they I think it was one of those since they eventually and it was I've been told by those more familiar with it when I that 
that was often the more interesting one, even though it had a much reduced page count, because you did have people who were up and coming, like Alan Moore, for example, and also because it got to deal with a lot of the side monsters and villains. I think John Peel did one with the Silurians in Iceland, sort of doing a oh, rift okay. on Journey to the Center of the Earth. Hmm, that sounds and cool. I think I another one with a, haven't. I think a, was it a steamboat gambler playing a game with the celestial toy maker as well, if I remember correctly. So, you know, it seems like they did. It was one of those places they were able to do interesting concepts in a in a very confined space. It's in some ways it's kind of sad that they eventually dropped that, but maybe they just ran out of ideas to do it, or maybe rights issues came up as. You know, copyright holders eventually went. Hey, I, hey, I own this monster, not the BBC. Yeah, because they haven't put these shorter ones in any of the Panini collections. Oh, have they not? Even if they were. No, no. I mean, I have all the Panini books, and yeah, Skywatch Seven is not in there. <laughs> yeah, Skywatch Seven. Neither is the Auton one, and I didn't even know about the Silurian or Celestial Toymaker ones. Yeah, Skywatch 7 found its way into the Marvel Comics series of reprints and then into the IDW books. And uh, the, the one volume we have, Classics 5, and then the uh, Omnibus oh, Volume wow. 2 is the... Yeah. So, yeah, no Panini reprint of this one, which is which is odd. I thought they had pretty much done everything. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. That's uh, about all I have on this one, so... Yeah, um, so... Guess we should give this thing a grade, and I decided not to do... Not to do grades on every one just because i felt like well first of all because there's a couple of them i would have been pretty poor grades but um as a collection i think uh let's let's do it as a collection unless you feel it you really feel strongly you want to go back and grade each one of these things so oh no that's fine <laughs> um i think as as a as a collection we'll we'll do it but let's uh rate this one um out of Five, uh, let's do frog spawn out of five frog spawn. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think of the Doctor Who Classics Volume 5? I'll give it a three, maybe. Yeah, I think a three's about what I would give it. Okay, three. I think that's going to be unanimous as a. I, I was kind of skating on whether this is a 3 or whether it's really kind of more of a 2.5, but I feel like a unanimous 3 is deserved here. So I don't think it was it was terrible. Like, I, I wasn't, like, you know, dreading, you know, getting through the end of it. Uh, it did not grab me, obviously, as I related to you guys before we started recording. It took me quite a long time to read this. <laughs> and, uh, um, it... Uh, the first two stories were rough, but I really did like enjoy the moderator. Um, you know, it's it's not a perfect story. It's definitely got some problems, but uh, I liked the characters. I like kind of the quirky. Um, maybe it's the 2000 AD kind of quirky stuff that came out there uh, yeah. that I enjoyed. And, um, and Skywatch Seven was cool. I had Skywatch Seven. Uh, so I figure, uh, you know, two out of four that I really enjoyed. I can't really, um, yeah, I can't ding it too much for that so yeah i think a three is about perfect it's uh definitely not my favorite uh comic strip collection that i've read because i really enjoy some of those right and um yeah this one's not one of my favorites but you know it's fine <laughs> i've definitely read worse pieces yeah. of doctor who stuff comic or otherwise so sure true yeah yep we yeah. did one uh, last month with yeah. Books, so. <laughs> but, but with yeah. some luck, we'll never get to like those uh, 
early TV comic uh, first or second Doctor stories. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, I've read a few of those. Those are just those are almost worth talking about. Just yeah, they're so bizarre, there's but... <laughs> the, the second Doctor is TV content, TV panel contestant, and my and minor celebrity yeah. in late sixties London, and it's just kind of like. What were you guys smoking when you wrote this? <laughs> I think they all—they must have. My solution has always been that they've handed—they just let, handed that off to writers, be like, "Oh, here's this Doctor Who thing. Have you heard of Doctor Who?" And they're like, "No." And you're like, "Well, well write it, was, it anyway." It was the late sixties. So, Maybe everybody in the office was dropping acid. I don't know. Right. Yeah. yeah Answers on a true. postcard, yeah, please. That's right. <laughs> Well, that just leaves one more thing for us to do, and that's to hit the big red button on the machine we call the randomizer and see what it is we're going to be uh, watching, reading, or listening to next time. And I will hit that button. And next time on the show, we're going to be checking out another Big Finish box set. This time it's going to be The New Adventures of Bernice Summerfield, Volume 6. And this is called Lost in Translation. So this is... uh, the I believe one of the sets that features uh, Bernie and uh, Michael Warner's Doctor Unbound Doctor um, David 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 Warner. Warner I'm sorry oh man Michael Warner is a whole different it actor. is a whole different actor <laughs> David Warner yes of course you know, I would apo- late, I would apologize to him but unfortunately yeah he is the late great David Warner so um, that's what I meant of course so. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, no frog spawn no for you. Frog spawn, damn it. No. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So I hope you'll join us next time and uh, to check out the uh, new adventures of Bernie Summerfield, Volume Six, Lost in Translation. That's a long title, um, and I didn't even put the Doctor Who on that is at the beginning of that. So um, I don't know why. Why are they calling the new range of Bernie Summerfield adventures Doctor Who dash the new adventures of Bernie Summerfield? Is it because they're because the adaptation because they have thing. a doctor in them. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because the first two sets had the seventh doctor and ace in them, and then right. Okay, that makes sense. They brought Warner's doctor into it, and because Warner, and I think if the doctor is in it, it technically has a Doctor Who whatever. Because they're they're Doctor Who stories that just happen to be where Benny is the companion, basically. Yeah. So, or the other way around, it it gets it it's one of those fun things that they have they talk about in the stories too about who's who's companion. So cool. Well, yeah, I hope everyone come back and join us for that next time. If you want to share any of your feedback about the uh, book we reviewed tonight or anything else that we review on the podcast, please feel free to drop us a line on our official Facebook page, uh, Twitter, or you can always email us if you're old-fashioned that way at uh, policeboxpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you write it, we'll read it. And, um, yeah, share your review with us, and we'll, uh, if you want, we'll even read it on the show. So uh, hope to hear from you, and... Uh, until next time, I am, I have been, and am Eric Branson. I remain Asad Heshke. And I believe I am Matthew Kressel. Bye. So long. Thanks for all the fish. Thank you for listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. A proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Join Eric, Asad, and Matthew next time for another random review from the worlds of Doctor Who. Everything ends. As always, sad. Send your feedback to policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and remember if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. Until next time. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. It's the end that the moment has been prepared for. 
The Doctor Who theme was composed by Ron Grainer and arranged as Doctor Who Retro Theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. Somewhere there's danger. Somewhere there's injustice. Somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We've got work to do. Direction Point! Direction Point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.